This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. And this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, scientists, healers, creatives, and seekers. I'm so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible wisdom with you. And I especially love listening to the conversations that are led by my brilliant co-host and friend, Erica Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, and she's been a part of the Goop family since the beginning days. We believe that simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. I'll let Erica fill you in on her guest today. My guest today is Chelsea Luger. Chelsea, along with her husband, Tosh Collins, are the authors of the new book, The Seven Circles, Indigenous Teachings for Living Well. In it, Chelsea and Tosh provide a gentle framework for incorporating ancient Indigenous practices for more well-being and balance in life. Today, Chelsea and I talk about the impacts of colonialism and why it's at the root of many of the health issues people face today, including non-Indigenous folks. Chelsea shares a more thoughtful approach for navigating cultural appropriation, and we talk about different ways we can honor and learn from all of our own ancestors. Okay. Let's get to my chat with Chelsea Luger. Chelsea, I'm thrilled to talk with you today. I I have to say, I think the work that you're putting out into the world is so important right now as someone living in a Black body, also as someone who's first generation. I think I would be nowhere without my connection to my ancestry and my understanding of it and and my presencing of it, even in my daily modern life. And I think that the seven circles is, is a real invitation for anyone who maybe lacks that connection or lacks that visibility into their own ancestry and their own lineage, because there's such a such a gentle exploration of what it means to be indigenous and to also at the same time occupy 
the world that we live in right now. And so I think I just want to start off with saying thank you for writing this book. Thank you for you and your partner writing this book and, and putting it into the world. I think a great place to start, and I've had this conversation a few times on the pod in the sense that wellness looks very different for very various people. I'm really curious about what your definition of wellness is. What does it mean to you right now? Well, I just want to start by saying thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for putting your time and energy into reading our book. I mean, that's a huge investment of time. And so anybody who dives in and who not only reads it, but embraces it and finds a way to apply it to their own life and to connect with it, it just means the world to me. So I'm really happy to hear that you were able to so easily connect it to your experience. And that's the most that I can hope that that any reader can do that. And, you know, some folks might sort of hesitate, like if, okay, if I'm not a native person or an indigenous person, how am I going to apply or understand indigenous knowledge? And I'm glad to hear that it, it, it seems to be coming across. Well, well, I think it's even more important if you're not an Indigenous person to understand the background and the practices because you, we are occupying your land. And mm-hmm. so we need to understand what came before and what is actually restorative or in harmony with the environment that we're in. So I think, in fact, it is, it is from Indigenous culture, but it actually is for everyone. Mm-hmm. is how I see it. For sure. And also, I mean, I think that anybody who is a Bi- BIPOC person, especially BIPOC in the wellness industry, is going to have a leg up like yourself in understanding this content because I would imagine that there's so much into it that you can relate to as far as the decolonizing wellness piece, the importance of making wellness a more culturally and intergenerationally inclusive topic, there's so much in there, you know, you know, the whole concept of wellness isn't a, a fair game for everyone. It's not about pull yourself up by the bootstraps and motivate yourself. It, it's so much deeper than that. There's so much historical injustice rooted in whether or not certain people have access to the same type of wellness as others. And so I hope what we've done in this book is shown that wellness really is for everyone and by no means should a person feel like they're behind because they happen to come from a community who has experienced historical trauma or if they happen to come from a family who didn't always you know propagate this perfect image of wellness that the western world has put forth those of us that come from those communities first of all we have ancestral wellness teachings from our own lineage and we have a lot to offer the conversation that the mainstream wellness world is missing. And second of all, we have a lot to offer in the way of understanding resilience. And I think that resilience is a really big part of well-being. So I'm really happy that we get to have this conversation sort of from that leg up in, I think, both of us kind of understanding that perspective. So let's talk about balance. You know, what really resonated in reading the book was this idea that at the beginning of your wellness journey, I would say you kind of came from a place of fullness instead of from this scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how we can cultivate that for ourselves, kind of reversing that scarcity mindset? Absolutely. So I think 
when we start from a deficit mindset, we are looking at ourselves as what's wrong with me? What am I missing? What can I change about myself? And we start from feeling very behind. And so that's why we offer this model. It's seven interconnected circles, seven different areas of life that anybody can approach when they're ready. And an ongoing sort of falling in and out of each of these circles is the process of a lifelong wellness journey. And mm. you don't have to be perfect in all seven areas at all time, but it's this constant returning to balance and an Understanding that an inherent part of being in balance is also having imbalance. Mm. So we fall out, we come back to it. We don't beat ourselves up or feel like we're starting over every single time. We simply have these seven circles as a guide to say like, okay, not feeling my best today. Let's see. Did I sleep? Yeah. Did I eat a nourishing meal? Sure did. Still don't, still don't feel good. Oh, maybe I can move my body. Or maybe I can go over to the sacred space circle and kind of tidy up my space a little bit. Or maybe I can go over to the community circle and call my mom because I need like a real conversation with somebody rather than just being on my phone. So that's kind of the gist of the seven circles modeling concept. I think part of where it's rooted is the cyclical concept comes from indigenous culture. Our, our people always viewed life not in a linear beginning and end, but as it's an ongoing cycle everything returns to where it once was. And then also the concept of interconnection is a very indigenous way of thinking. It's, it's an indigenous worldview in understanding that mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional health are all interconnected. They all play a role in all of these areas of our well-being. So for example, food isn't just something that changes the way my body looks. It's something that changes the way I think. It changes my mental sharpness, my mental clarity, it changes my emotional health of the day. So that's just one example, but I think that's kind of my long answer about balance. It's it's not a simple answer. It's not necessarily the most straightforward XYZ model, but honestly, we're lying to ourselves if we think we can continue to have the wellness conversation in this sort of context of a very clear-cut answer like it's not clear it's really hard it's an ongoing journey and we're not afraid to talk about that let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners this year we launched a new goop travel series called the goop list i wanted a way to share annually what i found to be the best of the best from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spot in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space, or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. 
share more about the seven circles? What are they? Mm -hmm. So it's food, movement, sleep, sacred space, community, connection to land, and ceremony. Those are the seven. Can you talk about the ebb and flow? You, you mentioned it a couple of minutes ago that you're kind of in a cyclical journey through these seven circles for most of your life. What does that ebb and flow look like? How do, how do they intersect? I can give you an example of like me right here today. So with my seven circles, I feel like I'm thriving today in community because my husband's on a trip. I'm here alone taking care of my daughters while at the moment they're in the kitchen with my mother-in-law. But for the most part, I'm watching them by myself right now. And I have to step my game up when I'm the only one that's here for them. And so I feel like I'm working really hard and I'm thriving in this circle of family and community. My connection to my daughters is like on point right now. <laughs> Let's see. Food, I would say, is a smaller circle for me today. Like it's feeling a little bit neglected because I've been so busy. I have not cooked myself like a real nourishing meal today. So I'm feeling a little not so great with the food circle. And then you can go around and just kind of evaluate for yourself on a daily basis, like which of these sleep, I feel good at, believe it or not, I actually got a really good night of rest last night. What happened is I was putting my girls to bed at their normal bedtime of eight o'clock and I fell asleep with them, which normally I actually try to stay up and get a few extra things done. But hey, I needed it. I fell asleep at eight, woke up at six. I feel great with sleep. Every day I evaluate which of the circles I'm feeling good in. And then there's always a couple that I'm sort of neglecting. And then so the next day becomes, okay, maybe I can approach the ones I neglected yesterday. And so what happens then is, yeah, you can't address them all in one day, but you can sort of constantly return. And at the end of the week, you might look back and like, yeah, I, I feel pretty balanced this week, you know? That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So let's go in a little bit and talk about settler colonialism and mm -hmm. just the colonizer framework that I think we've been threading through a little bit in terms of the importance of indigenous wellness, indigenous practices. You write about it in the book that indigenous wellness in some ways is rooted in survival and that we're just beginning to reckon with how settler colonialism is at the root of many of the health issues that we're facing. Absolutely. So a part of settler colonialism was genocide in obviously decimating the population, but then the other part was the decimation of animal populations, the over-exploitation of land, and that process is continuing today. By no means has colonialism ended. We're still living under the imposed capitalist structure that colonialism brought. Prior to colonialism, our people, our economies were centered on food. It was morning, noon, and night that we were occupied with gathering, hunting, farming, and utilizing the land, but not but knowing how to not overexploit the resource. And our ancestors attempted to teach the settlers this knowledge, this way of life when they came. And unfortunately, the piece about using a little bit of restraint didn't translate, didn't get picked up on. And so that's why I say that today with the industrialization of food, with the over-exploitation of land and resources, every single person today is suffering from the impacts of settler colonialism. The Black community continues to reel from the effects of slavery. We're kidding if we think that this stuff is in 
history. Like this stuff continues to impact our health and well-being today. And so I really urge the descendants of settlers or those who don't understand this history to recognize that settler colonialism and all of those other processes associated with it isn't just a problem for Native American people. It's not just a problem for Black people. This is a problem for everybody because all of our health is suffering. And so we need to reckon with this, not just on the stance of it's morally the right thing to do to understand American history, but also it's continuing to harm our health. It's continuing to harm the planet and the environment. And so this history is critical in understanding health and well-being today. So you just talked about the fact that minority populations, Black people, Indigenous people, are still reeling from the effects of colonialization. Can you talk a little bit more about how colonialization has impacted cultural appropriation, especially when it comes to a lot of the Indigenous practices that are really central to your kind of core practices? Mm -hmm. A history that we took the time to write and explain in the book is that Indigenous spirituality was illegal until 1978 in this country. Seems unconstitutional. It is. Nonetheless, it happened. In 1978, the American Indian Religious Freedoms Act was passed, which gave our people the freedom to practice our ceremonies, our songs, our dances without fear of punishment. And about a hundred years ago, there were many native people who were either killed or imprisoned due to simply trying to continue our culture. Everything from the way that we did weddings with, with one another to the way that we, we, we did medicine. So like our medicine people would be punished. If we weren't doing things in the white Christian way, we would be punished for that. And this was a part of an even larger process, an effort by the United States government to eradicate indigenous people, culture, spirituality, religion, every single piece of who they are. They wanted it to be assimilated and they wanted it to be gone. And that's actually something that the government continues to do today in various ways. I was born in 1987. In my childhood in North Dakota, I faced rampant discrimination for being a Native American person. My family faced discrimination. And if that if it was that bad for me, imagine how it was for my parents and my grandparents' generation. It was not cool or cute or okay for me to tell my white classmates that I live on a reservation in the summertime, that I'm an enrolled tribal member, that I go to not church. I walked into a classroom in eighth grade, my North Dakota studies class, and my teacher, this is the only class where we were learning about Native American people at all. And my teacher was describing Lakota ceremonies as disgusting and grotesque and a thing mm. of the past. And I'm a kid who grew up going to these. And so just imagine that, that feeling. So now today, when I see in the wellness industry, an insensitivity and an absolute demand that everybody who wants to smudge and burn sage and have access to our sacred medicines, they feel so entitled to that access, but yet haven't experienced any of that history or any of that pain, or are not a descendant of a person who fought and died and went to prison in order to continue that spirituality. So the issue is this. First of all, I'm not the gatekeeper. I can't say to an individual whether they do or do not have a right to burn 
X medicine, whether it's sage or Palo Santo or taking ayahuasca or whatever it may be. And any of the things that are indigenous that are now trends in the wellness world, I am not the, the gatekeeper of everybody's individual circumstance. But what I can say is please use some sensitivity. Please try to understand this history and the cultural appropriation aspect. And I don't know about everybody out there, but when I turn on the Real Housewives and I see them using Palo Santo as a joke and I see them every single season, there's a skit or a gimmick that really uses indigenous spirituality as something to just make fun of. Mm. And if I see that and I'm not hurt by it and I don't think that it's offensive, then maybe I'm not the person who should be trying to burn sage because Mm. it's a sacred medicine to us. It's something that we take very seriously. And just like I don't think a person should desecrate a religious symbol from another culture, I don't think that people should use sacred medicines unless they have an understanding and a respect for this history at the very minimum. So that's kind of the spiel on cultural appropriation that I have. It's a huge, complicated topic of conversation. And I just will encourage everybody to also look into your own ancestry. How did my ancestors, quote unquote, make smoke? Did my ancestors light candles? What were the other sacred medicines that are, I mean, there's thousands of things. So why are we all, you know, selling the exact same one and kind of putting it into this corporate Instagram-y model? You know, I think we can all do some due diligence. I think that's totally true. And, you know, I really dug really deeply at the beginning of the pandemic because I finally had more time into my own culture, you know, our own indigenous practices. So, you know, my my tribe in Nigeria is the Igbo tribe. And, mm. you know, we really defined our our time, like in terms of how we would tell time, it was lunar time, you know, prior to British colonialization in Nigeria, there was a very deep, deep, deep cosmology mm. that is really, really rich with so many different rituals and practices and ways in which water was brought in or fire or smoke or food. And so Mm. I've been spending a lot of time just retracing those steps and, and aligning with that, because even though, you know, I, you know, still feel very connected to Nigeria and have visited many times throughout my life and my great grandparents and grandparents are buried there. Colonialization and, and, and Catholicism specifically really Mm. erased a lot of the prominence of those practices to the point in which those practices Mm -hmm. very much as you were describing were seen as not only illegitimate but also dangerous yeah um and also seen as a christian Mm, and so i think right now the children that are like my age kind of in our 30s probably definitely the children that some of us may may have will have enough space from our you know, from our from our ancestors to be mm. able to sit more deeply and start to pull this apart because what is actually underneath that colonialization experience in Nigeria and is very much with here in America for for your for mm-hmm. your tribe and other tribes is mm-hmm. something so much more powerful, so much mm-hmm. more sustainable. And and I agree that due diligence into your own lineage is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. I love, and I'm so honestly happy to hear that you are able to make those connections for yourself and to reclaim some of those teachings and practices because I just totally respect the way that so many of us have been forcibly and violently removed from 
these practices that come from our own lineage. And even a person like me who grew up having a pretty steady connection to my ancestral teachings and to my ceremonies, it wasn't a perfect journey either by any means. Like I also have a big part of my family that was put through boarding schools and assimilated into Christianity. And to this day, my grandmother will, she knows our indigenous language and she won't speak a word of it because she was conditioned as a child that this language is wrong. And so, you know, it's an ongoing journey and so many of us have been disconnected from our lineages. And I just really support a person like yourself or anybody else who's going through that process. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Let's talk about ceremony. You you brought it up as something that you attended throughout your childhood and I'm imagining still into adulthood and something that's still consistent for you. Can you share more about what that looks like, what that is Mm -hmm. for For you specifically? Yeah. So the ceremony circle, it could also be described as like peacefulness or stress relief. It's sort of a broad topic that is going to look really different for different people depending on you know what's what's true to you and what's authentic to you for indigenous people like myself we do have ceremonies that we attend with our tribe with our communities with our families and those are you know like sweat lodge or sundance and those are private and this book doesn't i think maybe to certain people's disappointment we don't teach about those ceremonies or necessarily describe what they are because it's a matter of community privacy But what we do teach and what we do advocate for is this concept of walking in a ceremonial way or incorporating day-to-day ceremonies or rituals in your life that can sort of give you the same effect. And so it's, like I said, it's going to be different for different people, but I have a lot of those day-to-day ceremonies that are just important in my life as are the ceremonies that I attend in community. So What that looks like is finding time for silence. We live in a very noisy world. We are experiencing audible noise, visual noise, technological noise, and we hardly find any time for silence in our lives today. But silence is something that my ancestors greatly valued. And even the whole dynamic of what we hear what in the research we've done is even the way that people have conversations today is very different from like 200 years ago in Indian country, people were, would never interrupt one another. There would often be long pauses for silence before an answer was given. There would often be long stretches of the day where people weren't necessarily chit-chatting, you're just doing and you're doing things without talking. And that concept sounds so odd and unusual, but I think, oh my gosh, imagine the sort of enlightenment and the, and the way that our thoughts can be so much more clear and deeper when we are experiencing a little bit more silence. So time for silence is a really big one that I think is so important. The other thing is sort of any sort of spiritual connection that a person has, whether you are a religious person, 
a spiritual person from another faith, if you're a person who prays or meditates, any or through some people through our movement practice, we find that spiritual connection. You know, maybe you're a runner, and when you are running, when you hit that fifth mile, and you start to feel that enlightenment. I mean, so it's going to be different for everybody, but finding that spiritual connection, and then anything that promotes gratitude, stress relief, cleansing. So, for example, sometimes our day-to-day mundane activities can be elevated to this level where it feels more like a ritual as opposed to just a routine. And you can do that by just inserting some intention into the moment. So for me, two big places where I do it is my skincare routine and my showering or bath. So when I shower or bathe, just really honestly from the moment I begin thinking of it as a cleansing process and being mindful of my thoughts and again, keeping technology out of the room, like not having to listen to music or a podcast while I'm doing that. Same with skincare you know, being mindful of the thoughts that I am repeating to myself as I look at my face in the mirror, lovingly apply my products. So, you know, there's so many different ways, but I really believe that this ceremony circle is so important for everybody and there's a million ways to do it. I love just this more simplistic approach to ceremony. I feel that it's really helpful. Most people think that there has to be something, you know, more complex happening, but I think knowing Mm -hmm. that it can happen with your showering or with your skincare routine. And Mm -hmm. I've become kind of post my surgery, my, my surgical convalescent period, like the weeks I was healing after my surgery, I couldn't do very much. And so Mm. skincare kind of became a place for me to just be a little bit active and more present than I was when I was really just sitting still. And I think Mm -hmm. that there is, there is room. There's room in all the small things we're doing in the day to find that ceremony. Absolutely. I'm so happy to hear you say that. And I think that you give a really great example of wellness isn't going to look the same for everybody every day. You know, you were recovering from a surgery. It's okay that you couldn't run a mile or go to a yoga class, you know, but you found, but you can find wellness in all of these seven circles. And for you, you found this ceremony of skincare. And I'm sure there were other things that you were doing as well. Modes of taking care of yourself, modes of finding balance that might not look the same as everybody else, but that's okay. We're all individuals and we're gonna have phases of our lives where things look different. And then back to the original ceremony question, if there's one thing that sort of irritates me is performative spirituality like we don't have to you know put on a costume and that's where some of this cultural appropriation tends to come from is if we're trying to look like or be somebody that we're not and look like it's a diverse world out there like everybody has pieces of themselves that can be honored and celebrated and it's you know it it's totally okay to find like i said just these moments in your real day-to-day life and you don't have to put on an act like you really find intention and peace in the everyday and and that's okay if it's not necessarily instagrammable like it doesn't have to be i think that's really important in terms of just saying that it doesn't have to be performative you know Mm -hmm. i mean i think 
we know that I think people listening to this know that or maybe have mm-hmm. had conversations about how you know performance can really alter our experience of anything really especially when it's something related to our spirituality or kind of how we're taking care of ourselves mm-hmm. and yeah. that makes me think about perfectionism which is so connected to this performance component, you know, in wellness, what a lot of people are looking for is belonging, whether it's through community or looking at outwards or upwards towards something greater than ourselves. But so much of wellness today is also focused on perfection, like getting it right. The You've mentioned Instagram a few times. What are your thoughts for, again, you've touched on it a little bit for developing this wellness practice that is actually honoring of your uniqueness mm-hmm. and your background, your heritage. And, and a part of me also wants to say, is there a way for that to be built in and around food? Because food is something we do every single day in some capacity or another. Oh yeah. You know, looking into the food circle, there's one thing that we don't do. And part of it is because we're not qualified. I mean, we're not nutritionists. We're not doctors. We don't offer diet plans or meal plans for people, but we also just don't want to put the pressure on people to feel that if they don't follow this fad diet to an absolute T and perfection, then they're somehow failing. I really, you know, encourage folks to be on that journey for nutrition to, I mean, it's a, it's a journey that has been lifelong in my life and I'm continuing to learn and change every single day. And to struggle with finding what is the best thing for me to eat and to feed my kids, you know, and I so often don't have the answers, but what I, what I certainly don't do anymore. And I hope that others don't do that to themselves anymore either is to feel this sense of shame. If I don't quote unquote, eat perfectly or follow, you know, the perfect plan, there's a lot of pressure out there in the wellness world. But again, going back to this issue of settler colonialism, the entire food system and industry is corrupt. It is designed to cause us to be addicted to things that tend to not be the greatest for our health. It is designed to make everything that's bad for us way more convenient in many cases. Sure, arguments can be made that, you know, budget-wise, you can eat healthy just as easily as you can eat, you know, fast food. And I... I think that that's true for some people for sure. But I also believe that time is a luxury that not everybody has. And I think that sometimes when people are making those arguments, they're not taking into consideration, you know, the reservation mom that lives in a rural area without a good grocery store within several hundred miles and works two jobs, you know, (laughs) like it's it's so, it's so complicated. And listen, like we got to be in it together because we're all sort of living within this system that nobody asked for. (laughs) Perfectionism is impossible. That's my short answer. (laughs) It is impossible. And it's something that we can't escape from. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, thinking about escape and thinking about anybody who's listening to this, who doesn't identify as indigenous, their ability to escape from their world, to walk out of their environment and walk walk into yours and be able to do less harm and to 
really be able to be a part of restoration and to be a part of repair? How can non-Indigenous folks help in the revitalization and reclamation of Indigenous culture? How can they become more active? What can they do? Is it donating? Is it is it putting their dollars in a certain place? Mm-hmm. How how can how can they help? That's a great answer, and I think it's going to be different again for everybody. Maybe if a person has the means, they can find an indigenous organization like a language revitalization school or a cultural revitalization program that's undoing some of these harms of settler colonialism. You know, look for organizations that are within native communities and that are run by and for indigenous people. And I would say that those are the places where you want to put your money, if if at all. Look for indigenous led nonprofit organizations. Those are gonna be the places that are having real impact for native kids and, you know, helping heal some of these harms that have taken place within our communities. But for other people, there are so many things you can do to be an ally. And part of it is, like I said, just learning the history, recognizing that there are so many harmful stereotypes out there, whether you see them in Indian mascots, whether you see them on, you know, food labels that have cartoonish images of our people or in Hollywood when our roles are so minimal and our dialogue is so limited compared to the stories that are told, you know, for other communities. There's a lot of places where people can simply just learn and pay more attention. And there's this website I always point people to called nativeland.ca. And you can learn what tribal territory you are occupying or that you live on. And I always encourage people, you know, start there, like learn where you are, learn the the ancient history of the land that you live on and know that you don't have to go to Europe to find ancient history. And so learning about Native people through this lens of wellness is also a political statement. And it's a statement of allyship with our communities, because what you're doing is you're saying, I see you for your knowledge, for your wisdom and not necessarily for your health disparities or your suffering, like I've seen on the news for so many years. And, you know, I'm, you're making a statement that you're recognizing and seeing the full picture and the beauty of our people, as opposed to just the downtroddenness that's always depicted in the media, because we really have a lot of beauty and a lot of strength and a lot to teach and offer the world. Thanks for tuning in to today's conversation with Chelsea Luger. I hope you'll pick up a copy of her book, The Seven Circles. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.